and welcome to the welcome, welcome, uh, welcome. <laughs> to the E-Cubed Podcast Enterprise Endpoint Experts. And we have, I'm your host, Phil Burnett. We have two awesome, esteemed guests, two That's highly awesome. regarded That's experts in our industry. You're selling it a bit hard. <laughs> <laughs> we have a couple of mediocre talents here. To there there you go. <laughs> now we're going to leave that. They might believe that. Maybe. Did you want usable footage? <laughs> Brian Dam, uh, welcome. And Brian, your your uh, hobbies here are brewing, smoking, and smoking meat. Oh, I thought it was good. Those, I thought it was brewing, not smoking, and things. having meat. <laughs> yes. No. 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 Like, that's an odd odd habit to list on your slide. Yeah. No, I, I brew beer and I smoke meat. Do you smoke fish? Because I love smoked salmon. I would really love to smoke fish, um, but like that's a can be a one way ticket to unhappy town. So like, if we really careful. Like, like, can you imagine so, the smell of burnt fish just burning? It's not the burning. It's the fact that you you would like to cold smoke fish, and and to not have bacteria in it. Like oh okay, I, I was just wondering because all of a sudden it got really dark. You're like. Yeah, I would love. That's a one-way ticket to unhappy town. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> that, no that's redemption gut, here for that's, us. That's gut wrench. Uh, like, okay, I see. It's really, but I do enjoy smoked meat, so that's yeah, awesome. Oh yeah, and, and uh, so pellet smokers, if you ever want to get into smoking, like I would, I'm lazy. It's R it's R O I for me, right? Uh -huh, right and right, I'm right, like, right. I'm not spending eighteen hours like going and checking on it, turning it around. Yeah, no, I don't. Down. I don't want to do any of that. Um, and then so there's they, they uh, the people that make um, uh, uh, like pellet furnaces for homes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, well, what if we just made it smaller and then put meat inside of it? Um, and so it's it's just like a, a pellets, and then you just an auger, and you know, creates a fire, and then you can literally set it. And the one I have has like a little a Wi-Fi module and a phone app, so I can nice. literally I can literally lay in bed and I wake up at two for whatever reason because now I'm old and I wake up at two o'clock. Yeah. You're like, oh hey, yep, everything's fine. I'll go to back to sleep now. Nice, nice. Okay. About the only thing lazy in that, my uh, one of my friends named Pete, he, uh, his suggestion on how to smoke meat was get two furnace filters mm -hmm. and a box fan, and then just dehydrate it that way, dry it out, and then maybe maybe it'll kind of be smoky. I am horrified by that. I don't, was horrified as well. Don't, do don't do that. <laughs> that was his suggestion. I was like, I've been thinking about making jerky and maybe some smoked meat. Was this an actual friend of yours? I mean, I'm beginning to wonder. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he may be on his way out now yeah. for that advice. And Jordan Benzing, you are That's flying me. to Iceland and also ramen. Also, That means also you like two things about you. One, you're flying to Iceland and two, you like ramen. Is Are you flying right? to Iceland to get ramen? I do not fly to Iceland to get ramen. Okay. I fly other places to get ramen. But you, you, you are I have flying flown. to Iceland and you like ramen. Well, I'm not flying. I have flown. I have been to Iceland uh, uh, twice actually now. And, and uh, I do blue enjoy ramen. You go into the blue blue. I haven't done the blue have blue yet. I have. I know some people who went and they were like, we went and then it was like, it was great, but we were done in five minutes. This is me with my cultural insensitivity. What's the blue lagoon? It's it's a gigantic you know like lagoon with water in it, That's and it's all totally blue. blue. It's just it's naturally blue. like this beautiful I, deep blue. And people go in there and have drinks and stay for hours. Or like the people I know, they were done in five minutes. They're like, oh, that was blue. It was a lagoon. Now we're moving on. Yeah, yeah. a lagoon might be the wrong word. Whatever. It's a warm water that's blue somewhere in Iceland. It's a cool thing that you do. <clears throat> but other than that, I mean, no. I, sure. I usually when I go to Iceland, I, I'm sleeping a lot because work. Third-party patching. What in the heck? Third-party patching. 
Third-party patching, that's what we call it. And, and But you're right, it's not just third-party, but patching of your applications as well as your OS. Okay. Now, the OS patching is kind of its own topic. I don't know, what are you guys covering? What do you want to talk about? I was thinking we were going to talk about application patching, but if you want to talk about OS patching, it's your your show. What do you want to do? Depends. How many hours do you want to be here for? Yeah. About like, we... 20, 20 more minutes. Wow. Okay. That's kind of not <laughs> enough time to talk about either of those topics. But okay, but, it, it, definitely OS. Yeah. Okay. OS. Okay. I mean, third-party patching is kind of... Not our deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, one-dimensional in terms of you do this, and then you do this, and then you're done. And you yeah. pick your poison on what you're going to do in order to do it. Yeah. At the I end. Agree. Yep. OS patching is much more fun. <laughs> This is more difficult. <laughs> I feel like it's a little bit more involved than that. But nonetheless, we're going to move to OS patching. Let's talk about OS it. patching. What are your biggest challenges with it? First off, what? WSUS. Yeah. <laughs> so, so explain WSUS to the so average listener who doesn't really even know that much. What's going on? Why is WSUS a pain? What is it? Oh, gosh. Uh, Windows Server Update Services. That's what the acronym stands for. Uh-huh. Uh, so WSUS is back in like Windows 98 to like ME and XP days, you might remember you would go to a website to get updates, right? You, you, yes. And, yep. So what, what Microsoft did, um, first it was um, SUM, some, um, and then it became WS, and then it turned into WSUS that we know This is today. taking too long. We don't have time for this. <laughs> this is this is what I told him in our session nonstop. <laughs> Okay, good. I like to serve it. You guys go ahead and argue. It's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, so what they did was they took WSUS, uh, sorry, they took the online form of that and they just basically brought it offline. So they made it okay. work the same. And the problem with that is is um, they added, and then from there they iterated and they got it actually to a pretty decent product. In 2003, 2005, WSUS was a, a great product. It solved the problem that we needed to solve. So basically you had a server or a service on a client is going to the internet, getting all your updates, and then it's serving them out to the machines at your location. Correct. And that was for its time. That was great. Um, and the problem with that is, is within Microsoft that became a com- feature complete piece of software yep. and it ran and for years. It ran well. Oh. Um, and so you stopped investing in it because well, it just did what it needed to do. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and especially, for, well, I did. And then throughout um, uh, XP and then like XP, it was fine. And then really to the late end of XP and then like Win 7 even for a while was fine. Um, the, the, the move to the cumulative update model especially just like revealed all the creaks in that architecture. So oh, architect, architecturally, I'd argue WSUS is no longer sound in certain ways. It, it would be like I handed you a laptop with a Pentium processor in it and told you to install Windows 10 on it. Yeah. Like we designed a laptop back back in that point to run wow. a particular chunk of software of XP, yeah. right? And then we just kept installing newer versions of the OS and hoping that it would work. And eventually we just yeah. reach a point where just the physical architecture of that box just and the physical architecture of how that thing is built can't keep running the software anymore. Okay, you guys are brutal. That is a brutal analogy. So WSUS is really, not a little broken, but it, it is completely, un, it's not at all up to the task that it's asked to do right now. Can you break that down in a little more detail? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, 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 it what WSUS still does today, it does something that needs to be done, right? It provides a value that, it provides a service that still needs to exist, which is has to exist. Uh, correct, it has to exist. Is that your your clients, your endpoints, they need a catalog of updates, right? And mm-hmm. 
And are they going to just go to the internet to grab that, or are they going to? And then you want and then you want the control over that. And WSIS provides that service to you, right? Yeah. It provides the catalog, like you said, like you said earlier, downloads it from the internet and then sends it to the clients. The problem is, is that it does it in a way that's trying to solve problems that existed in 2003, which is, you know, we all we had like uh, 10 megabit hubs to places mm -hmm. and so we wanted to minimize the amount of data we send down to clients um, and all of that i mean like we don't want to saturate our network links but the, the the scale of the things we're talking about just doesn't yeah. exist anymore so there's okay i think there's better ways to solve these problems than um than the current architecture but we're sort of saddled with it and the frequency and size of updates has changed quite a bit as well yeah oh yeah the the, the explosion of, of oh, metadata gosh. right yeah um, so back in, let's see, May of 2016, I think it was, there was two things that happened um, back then. The, the first big one that happened was, was um, we started to get the express updates components that came in with Windows 10. And the other thing that we had was the encryption feature. Feature. Yeah. Um, we got an actually, we got an update, one of the first updates, I think since 2007, I think it was one of the first client updates to the WSS application to enable being able to do those particular features in it. And when that happened, it ballooned out the size of the metadata that lived inside of WSUS in order to accommodate for all those new feature sets. Yeah. And all of the clients essentially started hammering because they needed that information, get it. And WSUS just couldn't give it to them fast enough. Yeah. Um, and so it would just fall down on its face. It is, we should probably describe like metadata is the information that surrounds an update that indicates yeah. um, what is this update applicable to, right? Cause, uh, is your update a Windows 10 versus Windows 7? Uh -huh. um, does it? What are the requirements for it? Does it need .NET? Whatever the case is, right? Like those kind of things. That's uh, and then is it installed? Right? How do you detect? How do you know that the thing actually got installed in the mm -hmm. first place? Right. So that's what metadata is. And when we move to the cumulative update model, where you just keep adding patches and adding patches, yeah, yeah. that that metadata now every time you have a cumulative update just keeps growing because right? you're adding. And more we got to have all the deltas all the way back through. Yeah. Oh, in order to create yeah, yeah. the detectoids for it. Yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a non, it's an ever growing thing until they release a new version of Windows 10 and then you kind of reset, right? You go back to zero. Yeah. And so WSUS is a problem for this because? Be, because it's just that that amount of data and, and the way that they deliver that metadata to the clients is based on 2000 and, and stuff that was architected in 2012 that involves a lot of communication between the client and the server and the server is trying to trying to limit what it's sending to it, and it's trying to figure out what's the smallest amount of data I can send back back to this device instead of just saying, you know what, we have gigabit networks now, or we can use P2P technology. Got it. Okay, just, so it would be a lot more efficient to just throw a bunch of stuff down because you're on a WAN with whatever yeah. gigabit connection. Exactly. exactly. <clears throat> so if we go back to like our, our our laptop, you know, or our desktop kind yeah. of image and mentality, right? Mm -hmm. We've got a Pentium processor inside of it. Okay. Well, we've upgraded all the other hardware that's around it from that perspective, but we've still got this little tiny bottleneck right here. And if we could just kind of bump this one particular bottleneck, suddenly everything else would work so much better. Right, okay, great. So now, with that said, hey, was it you that had a request into the config man team for failover on WSUS or was that somebody else? Uh, so Dan and I, uh, Dan uh, Ratliff and I, yeah, um, we had a session just actually before this, um, which is on WSUS, and yeah, we made a request to the team that there's a particular error code. So um, uh, if you have multiple software update points, uh, you can fail over if one goes down. In theory, you want to fail over, uh, but there's one particular error code. EE two. 
it ends in EE2. Everyone knows that. Like, everyone's like, everyone knows what that error is. Yeah. Um, and, and what that error code means is if I can't actually reach that, de like, that device, I can't ping it, um, I just can't reach in any way, uh, that, that error was not on the list of errors that would trigger a failover. Got it. Okay. So let's say you have multiple software update points because you want high availability. And let's go, we need to take this back one step too. Okay. So okay. back, because of 18, uh, back to 1806 real quick. Okay. So if we go back to 1806 in the config manager hierarchy, yeah. it was possible to have multiple software update points in an environment with WSUSs living on them. So you could have a primary and then you have secondary over here and a secondary over here with a software update point over here and a software update point over here. There was no boundary control to prevent a client from seeking a software update yeah. point and swapping back and forth between the two of them for any reason okay. that they you wanted to. You couldn't effectively have a remote software update point that serviced that remote site. Yep. Oh, okay. That was difficult to do. Right, it right, would just right. go because wherever it you want. Because find anyone, even if it's in LA, it finds a software update point in exactly. Bangalore. It's you got it. And so what would happen is, is in order to work around that limitation, admins would create firewall rules to shield this WSUS server from drowning the WAN. Yep. Right, because if I have a firewall rule on me, you that client over there can't talk to me. I'm not accepting traffic from that from that subnet. The problem is, is that causes that EE2 error. Okay. And once that happens, as Brian was starting to describe, now we're stuck in Neverland. We'll never go back to that sub. Yeah, because because there's this <clears throat> list of error codes, and those are the only error codes that will trigger that failover. And so it's not on that list. Uh, it's not hard to put on the list. And nope. so in our session. Um, and you can just search the internet for, you know, WSUS retry codes, SCCM, and, and, and you'll get multiple blogs that tell you how to do it. Okay. Um, but we shouldn't have to. Yeah. That's that's the right. problem. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't think there's I don't think there's much of a debate that this error code should be in there by default. And so and it, I'd argue it's probably not that hard to add it. So um, I think I heard this afternoon that hopefully they were in the Microsoft tent and they're gonna add that to the product and we can be done with this. Okay, great. So WSUS, I think we have we have we have thrown it under Throw the bus successfully. <laughs> we have I mean, absolutely thrown it under the if bus. If all we could do is, I mean, it's still a processor that we have to have. Like a computer needs to have that. We have to have it. We just we need, need a slightly bigger one. We need a source of updates, whether that's WSUS or something else. Or something else. Okay, so moving on then. Windows up to OS He's like, patching. I'm done talking about WSUS. I feel like, I feel. <laughs> Abandoned thread. Abandoned thread. I think, I think we've covered it. I feel like we have done WSUS. Windows updates, OS updates generally beyond WSUS, what challenges are you seeing and what solutions are you, you presenting that people use? <laughs> so, we, <laughs> so we differ. So, so, so would you like some updates? Here, have all of them. Yeah. So, so what uh, our, the, the session we're discussing right now, fully automated patching, was the idea is, is we have, both of us have heard, gone into organizations and talked to people and they're like, well, we just don't trust it. We, we don't want to automate. Right, and so we actually had somebody come to our tent session and, and like was like, uh, I'm just doing it manually, like I'm literally going in, into the console and I'm going to the all uh, all software update nodes and I'm running a save query and I'm selecting all these updates and right clicking on them and I'm deploying them. Okay, and, so and manually literally means seeing what are all the new updates there are, sending them out to your software update uh, software update it. points yep. manually through the config manager console. Yep. Okay. Yep. Still and uses WSUS, mind you, to do that because that's what is the underlying technology. We're done talking about WSUS. Well, he's just pointing out that it goes from there through WSUS to end. Just saying, I was just making sure you didn't want to talk about Intune or what fear. That wasn't what you were trying to get at. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, what, what, so what we are trying to, we hear lots of excuses for not automating. And most of them are, I would argue, invalid. Um, so most of them? 
All of them. <laughs> I was gonna say. I like. Be honest, Brian. Be yourself. It's okay. I like it's to leave myself out, Jordan. I know. Okay. I know. I like to leave myself moving out. Moving goal. So, moving the goal. You got it. Um, and so, uh, Config Manager has this really uh, awesome uh, feature called automatic deployment tools, mm -hmm. and they're a beautiful piece of auto automation built into the the tool itself. And uh, people don't have all these what I call illegitimate reasons for not using them. And so this whole session was trying to basically convince them that sure, in almost every invalid. case, it, yeah, that those reasons are invalid. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, but also like, here's how, here's the tools, here's the things you need to know about making the choice of, of how, to, how to automate it, but also the fact that you can get there incrementally. That it's not necessarily a big bang. You don't have to just be like, oh, I need to set this all up and then um, there's no other option, but everything just automatically getting updates. If there's the ability to actually uh, create all of the, the, I don't want to say infrastructure, but create all the objects, to create the software update group, to, to deploy that software update group, right? To, to, to get the content out there. The yeah. ADR can automate all that, but you can actually have deployments that are disabled, right? So you can set all of it up to be ready, and then all you need to go in is right click on it and say enable. Right. So, okay. And so that like, in my mind and what we're trying to argue is, is in the session is that that like that in look at all these things you can automate. And if you're afraid of it for some reason, fine, just don't enable it. Just don't actually do anything, but you reduce your workload to, I come in and I right click on something and I say deploy. And then my hope is after you do that for like five months, you're like, wait a minute, <clears> what <throat> value am I providing? Other than being right clicking. Right I see. Clicking. But what about the person who doesn't like to think? Would that be a good reason not to use automated deployment rules? Or say no. you're lazy? That's actually a better reason no, to like use automated. That is a better reason to <laughs> so, use automated. The, so, whole, the whole point like, of dealing with updates is to make updates not your problem anymore. Yeah, so like, one, one of the things that made me sad is, is um, that uh, I have a tendency to make way too many slides. I have way too, many con like, way too much content. I have more slides than minutes in the session. Okay, and, and you're looking through the session, and you have a 75 see, slide deck right here, and yeah. and you're supposed to be under 70 minutes, um, and you'll see there's hidden slides. So one of the things I didn't get to say was call everyone in the room a bunch of meat bags, and meat bags are not. <laughs> what is, is, is that an insult? Yes. I'm not even sure. I've never heard we're, that. We are just. We are technically all <laughs> just bags of meat. We are all bags of meat, and we should not be trusted. Like we should not be trusted with patching, uh, and and I and I and I'm not saying. That derogatory, like I'm using meat bags to be funny, but I don't mean it derogatorily. I don't trust myself. Like my former right. organization, yeah. I, was, I was responsible for patching. I don't trust myself to every month at the right time go down and do all this complex, uh, you know, relatively complex, repetitive, no, and absolutely, things. right? Yeah, right? So it's a lot of detailed stuff you're thinking through every time, and the Correct. stakes are kind of high if you get it wrong. And humans suck at it. Humans we, are really bad at doing, really bad at that. Yeah, humans are really bad at doing really boring work that's repetitive. The same way at the same time. And the logic tree is days. always the same. It's yeah, not like there's some creative thinking no, that has to go into it every time. And this is the only part I think where we, well, no, that's not where we differ. The only piece that we differ on is is, is that, like, from his perspective, he'd like to see it just go, right? You'd just like to see updates just go everywhere. If I get hit by a bus, my patching strategy should just 
carry on just fine. <laughs> it should. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally no, I mean, yes. It's yes a, no, I was only laughing because I, I, I don't think that should be your first thought if you get hit by a bus. But it's good to know. Well, your first thought is about patching? Well, when I get hit by the bus, I'm not thinking about patching. I'm thinking about patching before I get hit by the bus. That's yeah, fair. fair. That's fair. Okay, that's I'd probably be thinking about the same thing. That's an yeah, important yeah, distinction. Yeah. You know? Then you're thinking, ow. Yes. Because you know, there's a Johnny Cash song where a guy's about to die and he's all talking to his buddy or whatever. Give my love to Rose. And you don't, you don't oh, want yeah, to be yeah. there it's like, go right click on. To be fair, he also had an affair with Rose. So. Oh, he did? That's how, yes. That's how some can be, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Wait, what? He got blamed for killing somebody and he, he didn't, his alibi was he was having an affair with his best friend's wife. And then he chose. No, 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 no. You're you confusing Long Black Veil with Give My Love to Rose. Am I? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're, you guys oh, yeah, might know right. more about W. Sus than me, but if you want to talk Johnny Cash lyrics, no, I'm probably going to be you're, the expert in the room. No, you're dead right. It's been a long day. <laughs> it has been uh, a long day. No, it's been I, a long I, week. I went through a Johnny Cash phase, so like I've listened to. I have this, okay, I yeah, have this yeah, box yeah. set. But that said, that was also a sad song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was also a great song. What were we talking about? Something about us differing and having a difference of opinion. (laughs) Our difference of opinion wasn't the styles of automation. My one thing that I really struggle with with ADRs is is, is that the one thing that ADRs and... No. Thank you. Um, Mr. Onesie. Um, the only thing that I struggle with, which I commend with, him for, I was I was amazed. You should that not you commend somebody. Else. Absolutely, I was amazed that you wore a onesie to curling and you just owned it. I was like, this guy is a freaking god. I was impressed. I was I was honestly impressed. For the record, I I am actually on record saying that if I end up at Jazz Edition and we end up doing a session together, I have already said that if the powers that be approve it, I will wear a onesie on stage with you. Yes. So if the powers that be approve it, this will happen. Just so you're for one. This may have gotten out of control. It may have. I blame both of us for it, just because of the fact that Twitter exists as a thing and Ryan. But before we get distracted, before we get distracted, I have to finish this before we get distracted about how this came to be a thing. Then you can tell your story. Okay. Okay. My one challenge with ADRs right now as they exist with it is, is that they don't really have a plan for change control in an automation workflow right now. Clarify what you mean. So, if you're an organization that requires change control before you can roll out patches, and I know your argument is is that well, change control is silly, and we should have one of them, and then we should roll out patches for forever. Yeah. But for if you orgs. are an organization for most orgs, right? If you are an organization that does require change control, you need to sit down and somebody has to say, "Yup," and acknowledge the C, You know, we are going to patch. We accept the risk of patching. We know it's a thing that has to happen every month. We uh-huh. accept it, right? Okay. That change control action occurring should be the action that is automated and then trigger the enablement button, right? So instead of you being the human every month that goes in and goes right click enable mm-hmm. or right click deploy or whatever like that, the action from change control that approves it then triggers something, whether it's a PowerShell script. I personally write a lot of PowerShell scripts that deploy updates automatically, right? I've got at least two organizations where it just deploys the rest of them or just enables them as they need to be based on when the change control says they're approved. Okay. That's my one little caveat to all of the, let's just stick everything in the console and stay there. The only thing is, is change control is hard to account for that way. If, if you were using ADRs to create your software update groups to deploy them as disabled, and then you had uh, automation that goes into, we have a change record and we approve and enables those, is mm-hmm. that what you're talking about? I'm perfectly okay with that. Yeah, yep. I'm dead. that's awesome. Okay, totally okay with that. Then we totally agree on that. But that's not, not nearly as fun as disagreeing about it. 
Sorry, you do that. <laughs> the, only thing, okay, so the only other thing we might disagree about in that is, is that the alternative solution, right, of what if your ADRs don't run at the right time? In which case... That's a problem. That's a problem. In which case, schedule your deployments through PowerShell. There you go. Okay, awesome. So I think we have covered a lot. And what I want to do before we break today... and okay. this because I explain the onesie issue? No, no. I, I am kind of curious about that. But actually, what I'd rather do is talk about fake curse words. Um, because I know you had mentioned that Brian was going to curse, but he said bull crap no, instead I, of something that might have been not approved by the censors. Yeah. It might have okay. been inappropriate. There was a yes. moment, there was a moment where I don't remember what it was, where you were, you were about to say something. You were standing up there, you were about to say something, and then suddenly you just turned to the slide deck and went, crap, instead. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, looked down to the floor. Crap's a pretty solid I think I, I can get away with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's also fork, bull. <clears throat> yep. Um, shirt, bull shirt, mm -hmm. fork. Mm -hmm. um, Did, were you a fan of uh, um, Battlestar Galactica? Yeah. As a kid, that that was like the best part of that show. They they just they just made up new, you know. That was fun. That, that was, was good fun. It's, it's Felter Car, right? That was Felter Car. <laughs> <laughs> and then in Firefly, they. How Firefly is my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you guys, Firefly fans. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah of course. Okay, well, I think on that bonding, I'm going to give you your deployment mage backpack. Oh, wow. We don't usually give people Ooh, on the podcast, wow. but it seems like a fine finale. Well, thank you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. You guys have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.